This is a personal and private recording by a member of the U.S. Air Force. Codename, Project Blue Book. Case file, 11,004. Designated, Stonefall. January 5th. I followed the voice for some time. Every time I went towards it, it seemed to be coming from a different direction. My flashlight revealed nothing, and the voice never seemed to vary. It was always the same tone, the same volume, calling to me. It could have been a little boy or a girl, or maybe both. When the voice stopped calling, I was at the bank of the river. I watched it lap up on the shore. It was muddy down there. I ran my hand along the edge of the water. It was cold, and I speculated that it wouldn't have taken long for one of the kids to be near paralyzed by the temperature. I must have been in the woods for almost an hour by the time I started making my way back. I called out as I retraced my steps, searching for shapes of people. It occurred to me that someone might not want me here, and could be trying to freak me out. If it was the kids, then how did they know my name? Why wouldn't they just be calling for help? I stopped in the spot Johnny and Martha were last seen, and I looked up at the trees, shining my light at the branches. There was something glinting under my flashlight, small and flat, and somehow tilted away from the tree. I didn't know how it was staying up there. I could either climb it, go back and get a ladder, or shake the tree and hope for the best. I did the ladder, and the object fell to the undergrowth almost immediately. I found it with my flashlight and studied it. It was a piece of a mirror attached to some string. I took it to the sheriff's department this morning for a closer look. It was two inches wide by three inches long and no more than a quarter of an inch thick. Someone had punched a hole in the top to thread the piece of string through it. It was ten inches long, tied together to make a loop. It looked like a necklace. I asked the sheriff if he knew whether or not the Lewis twins had ever owned anything like this. Their parents hadn't mentioned anything, and hadn't said they were wearing this in the descriptions they'd provided. We speculated they could have been given it, or they could have climbed the tree and found it there. If they'd climbed the tree, maybe one of them had fallen? If that was the case, what had the other done? The sheriff reminded me that the twins held hands wherever they went. I said I'd expect them not to, if they were climbing a tree. He smiled and explained that he meant if one of them had been injured and promised the other not to tell their parents, they would have kept that promise. I wonder why no one had found this mirror during the police search. Perhaps it had only been put there recently? Perhaps by whoever was calling my name? I asked the sheriff if he'd drive me to New Haven. On the journey, I was bad company. I'd previously sorted the witness statements into various categories and had brought the category containing those with the most detailed descriptions of the lights with me in the car. 
By this time, I've already read these files multiple times, and I can easily quote you several sections of some. But I was sure I'd missed something. I reread Louise Finch's statement. The one she'd initially given didn't make any mention of the glowing eyes. She seemed as if she only remembered this detail when I talked to her. But I did wonder whether there was more to it. Could someone have told her to mention it? I wondered whether it would have been possible for the small amount of moonlight to have reflected off the mirror and into the kid's eyes. But even then, Louise would have noticed the light glinting off the mirrors themselves. When I arrived in New Haven, I made my way to the police department and told the sheriff to go to the library. I needed information on the significance of mirrors. He looked at me weird, so I just asked him to try his best. The New Haven police station was a world away from that of Stone Falls. A young woman called Rennie took me to the evidence room where a man was waiting for me. He seemed a little surprised that I was representing the U.S. Air Force, and I invited him to call my superior to check I was who I said I was. There had been eight pieces of evidence that the team at New Haven were considering as significant. The man showed me the bags. The first was a leaf that looked as if it had been stained with blood, but possibly some time ago and probably from an animal. The second was a thread from a piece of clothing, and it seemed likely that this was from what Martha was wearing on the 28th. The third was a small clump of hair, again probably belonging to an animal. The fourth was a stone. It was different to the others in the woods, smoothed down as if it had been underwater from some time. The fifth was an earring. As far as I knew, neither Johnny or Martha had had their ears pierced. The sixth were fibers from an unidentified coarse material. I showed him the mirror and suggested they could be from the string. He said this was possible. I asked whether the top branches of trees had been searched, and his response didn't fill me with confidence. But then I'd not seen anything there when I'd looked a couple days ago either. The seventh was another leaf that looked as if it had been scorched. I since asked the sheriff whether that place in the woods is a popular camping spot, or whether there'd been any cause for fire. He said residents are discouraged from starting fires there. Was one perhaps started near the beach and the leaf flew back into the woods? But if the fire had been made in the few days following the disappearance, why had no one seen it? The man went to get the eighth out of the box and said, I think you'll appreciate this one, with kind of a smug smile on his face. But then he couldn't find it. He searched and went through two more boxes of things they'd collected, but found nothing. It's already been lifted for fingerprints, he explained. There's no reason why it shouldn't be here. I asked him what it was. He told me it was a mirror, perhaps half the size of the one I'd found, and broken in half. It had been found amongst the undergrowth. I'm back in my room at Stonefall, and I've just had a phone call. It was the sheriff. It surprised me that he wasn't aware a broken mirror had been found at the initial search. And I was going to ask, but he had some news for me first. He said the station had been contacted by someone who claims to have information about the night of the 28th and the lights. The sheriff warned me to approach everything with caution, though. Apparently, they're not the most reliable of witnesses. 
I asked him why, and he told me that, colloquially, this witness is known as the Madman of Massachusetts. I said to the sheriff that we were in Connecticut. He laughed and said, yep, that's how mad this guy is. Tomorrow should be an interesting day. Stonefall was created and written by James Mortimer, read by Rebecca Maluish. Music by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons. Follow Stonefall Drama on Twitter for updates.